Welcome to Voices of Baltimore. My name is Zion Chambers, and I am a strength ambassador here at Mission Fit. We're creating a platform for discussion for the youth, by the youth, to tell our stories. We are people from Baltimore. We understand Baltimore. Everyone hears the ugly, but here we're going to dive into the truth, raw and uncut. To talk about it all, Baltimore in its entirety, and strengthen, uplift, and unite the voices of our community. We hope you join the discussion. Thank you. Jameson, I'm the Director of Development here at Mission Fit, and I'm sitting here with Abby Sola, Jaron, and Thelma, and we'll just do some quick intros before we dive in. Okay, so well, my name is Abby Sola, um, I'm in 11th grade, I attend Poly, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, yeah, my name is Teron Harris, I am the Community Engagement Manager at the Nate Tatum Community Center, which is located in the uh, Barkley neighborhood of Baltimore City. Um, I have a background in social work, um, a bachelor's in social work, and also a master's in social work. Um, I'm pretty passionate about my community, um, where, wherever that might be. Um, so and I'm looking forward to um, working with you guys today. My name is Thelma Williams. I am an 11th grader at Bar High School Early College. And I'm excited to do this podcast right now, to be to be honest. Okay. Um, well, I don't... Um, you want to start? Oh, I'll start. Okay, so first question. If you don't mind sharing, what was the reason you were incarcerated? Okay, um, sure. So when I was 15 years old... Um, I was charged with two counts of homicide, two two murders. Um, it, I was myself and uh, two of my friends were charged with um, double homicide uh, when I was fifteen. And essentially, what what happened was um, one of my friends um, kind of randomly opened fired on a crowd of people. And as a result, two of those people end up dying. Um, and we, all three of us, were charged with the um, crime of murder. Um, and with that being said, um, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. So at the time in Boston, if you were a juvenile charged with an adult crime, you were um, pretty much eligible to be tried as an adult. So that's um, where I found myself at, you know, 15 years old, is being charged as an adult and um, possibly facing life in prison for the rest of my life. So that's that's how I got introduced to being um, incarcerated at, at 15. So a follow-up question to that. How long was, like, the trial process and everything? And obviously you were 15. How did that affect your mental state throughout that process? So the the process um, was about three and a half years mm-hmm. um, that, that um, between the trial and what they call a transfer hearing. So a transfer hearing is when they actually have a hearing to decide whether or not you can be rehabilitated 
and whether or not you should be tried as an adult or a juvenile. So um, that process was about three years. I was incarcerated for those three years and I was going back and forth to court during that whole time. Um, I saw a child psychologist that my, that my lawyer had me meet with and then the district attorney had a child psychologist that I had to meet with to ensure that I was able to be rehabilitated. Um, it was determined that I was able to be rehabilitated. However, um, I was still um, charged as an adult. Um, the interesting thing about my about my situation is that there were three of us that were charged. The person that did it actually admitted to pulling the trigger. However, um, they were never charged as an adult. They were charged as a juvenile while myself and my other co-defendant were charged as adults. Wow. So um, with that being said, that was pretty, um, you know, emotionally draining. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really sitting there and accepting the fact that I might be going to jail for the rest of my life or I might be spending jail, I might be spending the rest of my life in jail for something that I didn't do, something that I didn't know was going to happen. So it was, it was, it was an emotional, it was an emotional roller coaster, if, if I'm being honest. Um, and there was some, there, there, there were a lot of um, politics involved as well. Um, the, the, the guy that actually did the shooting, his family was connected into the political system. Mm -hmm. So as a result, that's how come he was able to be charged as, as a juvenile. So by him being charged as a juvenile, he was eligible for release when he was 21. Wow. Whereas me and my co-defendant, we were basically um, facing life in prison. So over the three and a half year time frame that I was incarcerated, um, went back and forth. And by the time I turned 18, it was time for me to go to trial as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, and so my so my other co-defendant that was, that was charged, he went to trial first and um, they decided not to charge him with the murder charges, but they charged him with the gun charge. Mm -hmm. So instead of having to face life in prison, he just had to go to jail for maybe 18 months mm -hmm. for, the, for the gun charge. And it was when it was time for me to go to trial, um, they actually dropped all the charges against wow. me. Um, it turned out that the district attorney actually lied to the grand jury during, during, during my initial in, indictment. Mm -hmm. So as a result of that coming out, instead of the state deciding to go to trial, it was understood that, hey, we'll drop all the charges if you promise not to ever um, file a lawsuit against the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So, I mean, after being locked up for three and a half years, that last thing on my mind was trying to file a, file a lawsuit. I just, I just wanted to be free at that point. So... I was fortunate enough to be released um, after after three and a half years of prison, and 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 it really you know shaped you know it really changed my mindset and, and and my thought process, and I was fortunate enough to have a loving and supporting family at at the time. Um, I, I did a lot of praying and and different things like that during the time just to navigate through that weird space of am I gonna go home? Am I gonna get out? And um, so I, I got out and I was just, you know, I had a whole I had a whole different focus while I was incarcerated. I had the opportunity to get my GED. Mm -hmm. 
but I but but I held out and said no. I, I actually want to go to. I actually want to go to high school. I actually want to actually get my high school diploma. So when I I was released in um, August of 1994, I started high school. Um, and I just I just you know I just kind of emerged myself in being free. And you know I went to school. I worked. I did whatever it took that was gonna you know get me through high school. So as a result of having a certain amount of credits, I actually had to attend night school in order to graduate. So I attended night school, I worked, I did whatever it took that was going to, you know, get me, um, you know, to the next level. And so I graduated high school and um, I was, you know, I was happy. I was proud of myself. I had got accepted into a couple of community colleges and local colleges. So I was on the right path at that point. And maybe uh, a month after I graduated, a month or two after I graduated, um, my best friend actually was living in California at the time because his mother, it was a lot of violence going on in Boston at the time, a lot mm-hmm. of gang violence and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So his mother wanted to get him away from everything that was going on. So mm-hmm. when he came back to visit Boston, um, after being home for about a week, he was killed. Wow. And so that kind of triggered me and, and, you know, sent me back to a place where I didn't want to be. And I ended up getting arrested again, mm-hmm. this time as an adult. And I was charged with um, what we would call a drive-by shooting. Mm-hmm. So I was charged with a drive-by shooting. And again, now I was an adult. So it really wasn't a question of whether or not I was going to do, do, do time. It was just a matter of how much time. Um, so at 19, um, I actually took a plea bargain and the district attorney, instead of me doing three to five years, he offered me a plea bargain of doing one year. And so as an adult, I did one year in the House of Corrections. During that one year is probably my biggest transformation. I mean, while I was incarcerated, I was fortunate enough to have, um, you know, family and friends that were helping me through the process. And I was applying for colleges, even though I was locked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so during that process, I got accepted into, I don't know, maybe five or six different colleges. And upon my release, um, a month later, I started my freshman year of college um, mm-hmm. after, you know, after being incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So once I was allowed that opportunity um, to go to college, I kind of never looked back, um, like, the the main thing for me was getting out of my environment and being in a different place and being in a different environment. Um, you know, growing up in a, in a, in a city, um, a lot of times we don't necessarily have the best role models um, to kind of show us the right path and what and kind of what we should be doing. Um, I grew up in a single parent home. Um, my dad was um, you know addicted to drugs most of my childhood. I mean, he's been clean and sore for well over 30 years at this point, but growing up, um, he struggled with addiction. So that was a part of me not having the right um, role models and, and resources to, you know, kind of redirect me when I did go off path, when I did go off task. So I, you know, I got to college and it was just like a new life. You know, I, I left Boston and went to college at, um, Virginia State University, which is about 20 minutes outside of Richmond, Virginia. It's in a town called Petersburg, Virginia. And I just, you know, I just hit the ground running. I was like, this is an opportunity for me. And I just never looked back. Um, 
there were some challenges that I had because of course I was a now at this point I was a convicted felon mm -hmm. and so when it came to employment and jobs and internships that I had to do for you know school um, my, my, my uncle suggested that I kind of write a letter to my potential employers or my potential you know supervisors explaining what happened mm -hmm. as a, uh, to me and that was kind of my that that was kind of my letter i would i would give that to people and say listen when i was 18 years old i got caught with a gun i spent a year in jail but this is where i'm at now so that was kind of what i did for the four years that i was an undergrad and it was just it was it was it was it was really an interesting experience for me because although i was in college and i was thriving for the most part mm -hmm. a part of my heart was still hurting because I never really grieved for my friend that got killed. And while I was um, locked up for that year, my cousin ended up getting killed. And so, and by this time I'm 18, 19 years old. And even though th their two deaths were major, prior to that, I had about maybe five or six, seven other friends that had, had, had gotten killed. So I was constantly dealing with, you know, grief and loss, but not necessarily being in the right space to be able to process through that and, and kind of heal from that experience. Mm -hmm. So um, again, college was definitely um, a lifesaver for me. Like, And when I got to college, I didn't care about how I looked. I didn't care about anything except that I wasn't in jail. Mm -hmm. And so I took that opportunity and kind of ran, ran with it. Um, after I finished college, I graduated on time. I graduated with honors and I was just grateful for that experience. Um, and after, after being, after I graduated, I was kind of in a sedentary, uh, space as I, I necessarily wasn't growing. So I decided to relocate to Baltimore. I had a mentor from the sixth grade. He was my sixth grade science teacher back in Boston. And he was actually working on his PhD in science at Morgan. And he said, you know, if you need to get away, you come and you can stay with me until you get on your feet. So within, I would probably say, I remember the date exactly. It was probably June 13th. I'll never forget. It was a Mike Tyson fight on. And I was, you know, watching the Mike Tyson fight. And it said, and then I said to myself, I need, I need to get out of here. So I, so I relocated to Baltimore about a month later. No job, no anything. He just said, come on up. And I stayed with him. And while I was with him, I um, applied for the University of Maryland um, social work program, and I got accepted. Um, and once I went to grad school, I just knew that I was never going to go back to where I was at before, which was, you know, a life of you know gangs. You know, I sold drugs. I I did I did, I did a lot of stuff by the time that I got caught for the murder. So it actually probably saved my life because if I wasn't incarcerated for those three and a half years and that additional one year, I would have probably been out in the street doing the things that initially got me incarcerated. So um, again, once, once I got to Baltimore, I just really started just making sure that I connected myself with people that were not like the people in my past. And it didn't it didn't take anything away from the people in my past. Like I still loved and had relationships with them, but it was time for me to do something different. So 
again, um, af after I got my master's degree from Maryland, um, I just dedicated my life to serving the community and making sure that I shared my story so people wouldn't make the same mistake. On the flip side of that, I really didn't become comfortable sharing my past until after grad school. Like I didn't want to be judged based off of my based off my previous experiences and mistakes that I made as a kid. So I really never told people about what happened to me and the things that I was dealing with and the trials and tribulations that I had growing up. Um, and and so once I got to the point where I was comfortable with sharing my story and being able to um, kind of let people know what happened, I started to notice a shift and really had a better understanding of what my purpose was. So prior to that, I really didn't know what my purpose was. I was just, I was just functioning. But after I got to a point where I was, I was able to express myself and be comfortable with sharing my past, I started to notice a shift and me having a better understanding of what my overall purpose was, uh, which is why I ended up majoring in social work in undergrad and grad school. That's why, I mean, when I, when I was growing up as a kid, I always wanted to be an architect. Mm -hmm. But then life happens and things change and I end up being a social worker. So um, that's, you know, pretty much the, the you know, the story. And, 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 you know, during the time of incarceration, I had a couple of epiphanies, you know, as far as health and health and nutrition. Like mm -hmm. the food that they give you in those spaces is not the best food, um, whether it be food that's in the canteen or food that they actually serve. So I so 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 a lot of um, my dietary stuff changed during during that time. Like when I was locked up when I was fifteen or sixteen, I stopped eating pork. Mm -hmm. And then when I turned 20, I stopped eating beef and red meat. So all of those different things helped increase my discipline level, which allowed me to be more successful because I had the discipline to be able to say, I have the willpower and the strength to not do X, Y, Z or not eat X, Y, Z. So even though I lost you know, friends and family as a result of, you know, growing up in the inner city and, and dealing with those experiences also gained a lot of things, which is self-confidence. Because a lot of times with um, some of us young black men growing up, we have a false sense of self-confidence and it's a bravado and this machismo that, you know, we have because we think that we have to exhibit that in order to function and get the quote-unquote respect that we want or deserve so i learned i learned to be okay with being sad upset angry and i had a better understanding of um my emotions and what that meant so yeah um i want to ask um what can the community government do to fix the the problem of food deserts. Um, what can be done at a more local slash individual levels? Because you did mention food deserts. Wow. So I, I really think that um, in certain aspects, it's the government's responsibility mm -hmm. to um, put out 
put out the the right information when it comes to you know food and nutrition like i know that the government has had different programs like i remember they had a program called what's on your plate yeah, where yeah. they were yeah. kind of like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 well, yeah, well, yeah my plate and different things like that but i think but but i think when it comes to food deserts i think it a lot of it has to do with um us realizing that the food that we're provided or the or the food that the food options that we're given aren't necessarily the best for us whether it be nutritious they're not the best for us nutritiously or whatever i i, I think that we have to understand that and understand that if we want to be our best and be our optimal selves that we really have to take a look at what we consume and how's that and how's and how that impacts us so if i want to be a great student me eating um you know, Takis and, and cheese curls before I go into school. Jesus, man. It, it, was at, it, was, it was after school. She had it after school. So she already had a full day. So so you earned your, you earned your cheeses. But an, another thing I think is important is that we understand the balance of, you can, you, you can have your cheeses, but you also should be eating some fruit um, every day or some. Or, 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 I eat grapes and strawberries today. Okay. See, awesome. See, so I think, I, I think that's important is, the balance and being able to push that narrative of we can do both versus, oh, all I can eat is what's available to me. And I also think that there's power in learning how to grow your own food and and, and being able to understand the value in that because there's so many different things that you learn from growing your own food. You you you, you learn you learn patience. You learn you, you learn you learn order, and you and, and and you also learn that if anything if anything were to happen where we had a mass shutdown and grocery stores that we could rely on ourselves, sort of like our ancestors did, um, because we need food to eat. we need food to live. But a lot of us are just living to eat. And so we have to be sure that we understand the, the importance of having that balance. So when it comes to food deserts, I think that it's up to the government to be able to say, we know that we dropped the ball in, these, in, in, in this particular, and this is what we're trying to do. But in the meantime, instead of waiting for them, I think it's up to people like myself, people like Wes, to be able to say, we understand the breakdowns in the system. So this is what we're going to try to do to combat that, whether it be, um, you know, promoting community gardens as much as we promote partying and dancing or, you know, promoting, you know, live food as much as we promote chicken boxes and, and, and always being able to... Um, have that balance of both entities instead of it just being one thing. So I th I think I think that's how we battle, and I, th I think that's how we deal with with uh, food deserts is kind of normalizing the benefits of healthy and 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 and, and uh, you know nat natural foods and snacks. I, th I think we have to normalize that and and realize that a lot of the ingredients and in the foods that we eat aren't good for us mm -hmm. and they aren't a lot of the foods that we consume as americans 
are not allowed in other cities or I mean other yeah. other other yeah. countries and 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 so we have to we we have to be able to look at that and I know it's hard because sometimes we're just living sometimes you I mean so you're just going to school trying to finish school yeah. you're just so it's like that's a lot to have to consume like oh I have to worry about what I eat I have to worry about that but I think that we do ourselves a disservice by not doing that sometimes and yeah. and this is from someone that still likes a chicken box every now and then and still likes, you know, whatever every now and then. But I also make sure that most of the days that I'm consuming live food and foods that are going to help me be my optimal person while I'm while I'm trying to service the community. I guess I have a question that can go for everyone. Mm-hmm. You mentioned like your kind of mindset shift as it related to a lot of things. Right. While we're on the topic of food, I'm interested in like how you learned that. Okay. But I'm also interested in learning like Dhamma and Abyssal. Like, what has been your education around food, whether it relates to food deserts or not? Like, what has been like your process there? How do you relate to food? And like, have you been educated in that, or have you kind of had to like experiment with your like figure it out on your own? Um, for me. I always grew up eating, you know, fruits and vegetables. Like, my mom always taught me, always have fruits and vegetables. It's okay to have, you know, like, the other things, but always have fruits and vegetables. As for food deserts, um, I think I only uh, I only learned it in ninth grade. Like, my U.S. history teacher just mentioned it one day, and it was over with, and I never really got anything else from that. Well, as for me, um, I remember when I first learned about food deserts, it was in about, like, maybe seventh, eighth grade, uh, like in social studies, we did a project on it. So like we presented and did a whole like project on it. And I feel like we probably like mentioned it a bit in like, you know, like history classes in my high school and high school and stuff like that. And then as for like food and like being nutritious, like as of now, like I try to like always have like, you know, fruits, not much, not much vegetables, but <laughs> more fruits with my meals. Like today I had grapes and strawberries and then I have this, had a sandwich. And the sandwich was also pretty healthy. It was like a wheat seed sandwich or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was okay. pretty good. Um, and But then I balanced it out with like Funyuns or like kettle chips <laughs> in addition balance. to the cheese. Balance. Balance. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it is food. But then at the same time, it's like, I don't, I mean, at the same time, I feel like at least for... I don't know, maybe like people either my age or like people who are younger than me, maybe like I'm just talking about people in high school for now because I don't really know much about like middle school right now. But um, I feel like for the most part, which because also you mentioned it's like just go to school, get it done, go home or do extracurriculars or whatever. You don't really have time to be focusing on what you eat. And at the same time, it's like the food at school is not that good either. And so like literally right near the cafeteria, we have three vending machines full of junk food. And I'm not complaining because right. it's good. Right. But, you know, so yeah. And even like the fruits that they get, it's not even good. Like, yeah, sometimes the fruits have bruises. Right. <laughs> it's not even that good. Right. Which yeah. I think is important because that goes, like, that actually does a disservice to the, to the whole thing, right? It's like, yeah. if, if the fruits and veggies that is being served, that are being served to you, aren't good, then we're queuing. Oh wait, I don't like fruits and vegetables right, right. long term because they're kind of gross because yeah. they were gross to when I got them in school, yeah. right? 
Right. So um, I guess this, I, similar question like to you, Tron, about like like how you kind of educated yourself. And um, I think it was uh, I think it was just kind of just uh, like a just a process. Um, I think that my my grandmother had diabetes, and then my other grandmother had um, high blood pressure. So they both transitioned about a year apart. And prior to that, I had a scare uh, where I had a tumor and at one point thought it was cancerous. And um, so that kind of shifted, shifted my um, thought process about consuming foods and different things like that. Once, once I had, once, once I got a better understanding of ingredients I think I think that's what it was. I think I think I had a better understanding of what ingredients were, what ingredients make you vital, make you strong, and and actually give you give you what you need in order to function and survive. So I I think it was just a slow process of me just coming into my own and saying, oh okay, because I mean I grew up eating eating vegetables at dinner. Like I couldn't get my cake or my cookies if I didn't eat my, you know, greens or my squash or my peas or whatever it was on the plate. I couldn't necessarily get what I wanted, which was the sugar. And so I think I had a better understanding and I started learning about processed sugar, white sugar and different things like that. And so, but it was something that I really was passionate about because I wanted to just, I, I, I wanted to change the trajectory that I was going to be on by following family traditions and, di- and different things of that nature. So it was just, it was just really something that um, I was passionate about. And, you know, I, while I was incarcerated, I, you know, I was working out and I was exercising. And so I wanted to make sure that I was optimizing what I was doing. I didn't want to be working out and exercising and not giving my body the pro, the, the appropriate fuel that, that it needed. So I just kind of I just kind of carry that I, I just kind of carry that you know along. I mean, people tell me all the time, since I've been knowing you, you've always been in shape and you've always been eating healthy. And it's just like it it didn't it just didn't happen overnight. It's it's been a process. I know it appears that I've been living a lifestyle for a long time before it became trendy and popular to, you know, be healthy or all these different things. But it was just something that I felt I had to do based off of, you know, some scares that I had in, in my life. So it was just a matter of kind of just what, it, what what are you going to do? And so I decided to learn more about the foods that I was consuming and, and what kind of impact and the effect that it was having on me internally also based off of hereditary things that were going on in my family like the high blood pressure and the diabetes and and different things like that i just i just wanted to make sure that i didn't put myself in that situation if if i didn't have to be like that's the one thing that we all have is free will Mm -hmm. and so i wanted to make sure that i was using my free will to the best of my ability um you mentioned um like being um cutting off like beef and other like red meats um do you recommend recommend other lifestyles like vegan vegetarian or pescatarian for optimum well-being um definitely i definitely recommend it but i also understand that um that type of lifestyle may not be for everybody and everybody may not necessarily be able to 
just transitioning to that lifestyle, whether it be because of finances or whether it be because of living in food deserts. So I always recommend and suggest folks just start 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 with something small and and like like we said, incorporating fruits and vegetables in your daily consumption. Like so, and 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 being aware of how important it is to you know drink water. Like how 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 our how our bodies are made up of natural chemicals and then when we eat certain things it throws our you know chemical imbalance off so for me i definitely recommend people just start something small like you can start with meatless mondays monday you can have all the food that you want it just may not be any meat and so small things like that like you mentioned earlier your sandwich you had wheat bread small things like i'm like one thing that i'm i'm sure that i that i'm cognizant of not doing is trying to implement my lifestyle and my beliefs on others because i know that that's not necessary for everybody but i'd also recommend that we all evaluate what it is that we're eating and how much that we're eating i mean Americans, we are some greedy folks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, I mean, we, I mean, we, we like to consume and overconsume, yeah. and it's not necessarily the best thing for us. And I think when we're young and we have a fast metabolism and things are, and that's fine. But at the same time, we're actually a sedentary society. Like we like to sit in front of the TV. We like yeah. to do things that don't necessarily, um, help with the foods that we're consuming so i always just try to tell people just just to start something it doesn't have to be what i do you have to do what's best for you but i definitely definitely think press uh being a presbyterian is good i mean i tried it and it, it i was only able to do it but, so, but for so long but but i tried it so i think that we have to step outside of our comfort zones when it comes to food and food food consumption and just try different things. And everything doesn't necessarily work for everybody. I mean, growing up, I couldn't stand squash. I couldn't stand asparagus and all these different foods that I, you know, was basically forced to eat as a young person. Now I love all these foods and, and I enjoy them because I understand that, that there's different ways that you can prepare the foods and, and season the food. So I understand the value of trying something different. So I definitely recommend that folks, you know, just just look at exploring something outside of their traditional diet and maybe incorporating small things. And for me, what I've learned is some things um, when it comes to eating healthy, I'm a fan of and some things I'm not a fan of. And that's OK. But I at least had to get out there and let me see if I can try this. Like, oh, let me try this. Let me see if I can try this uh, spaghetti squash. Oh, it's actually not that bad. But I don't know if it's something I would consume all the time. So it's just a matter of really being able to be comfortable with trying different foods. And most of the foods that we try, uh, most of the natural foods that we are eating, we are actually putting back into our body what we need. Whether it be zinc, whether it be vitamin C, whatever it is, most of the natural foods have those things in them. And so... Um, so going back to the topic of mass incarceration, mm -hmm. so you talked about, um, you talked about how, like, when you were incarcerated, then, like, a month after you were able to go to college, right? right. So through that process, and also, like, you also went back in, per you, in person for high school, right? You said? Yes. And so 
when you got out or like throughout your time in prison, was it like, were there any rehabilitation programs that helped you through this or was it mostly relationships and family that helped you with this? I think it was, I think it was really relationships and family and, um, and the gym, like, I mean, having, having the opportunity to exercise on a daily basis and work out was my, was my, you know, therapy. And, and I also knew that I was only in there for a short amount of time, like a year in jail for me was a drop in a hat because I had just now done three and a half years. So a year in a, a year in jail and knowing that I was getting out and once I was getting out, I was I had something waiting for me. Mm-hmm. So what I just tried to do is, is I just tried to keep to myself. I read I read a lot of books. I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of reading, and I just did anything I could do to escape mentally. Mm-hmm. I knew physically I wasn't going to be able to leave, but mentally I was able to take my brain and my mind to a different place. So that was my therapy at the time, is to be able to read books, exercise knowing that I had something to look forward to and to go home to where maybe some of my fellow inmates didn't necessarily have that same thing. Like, I'm pretty sure I was probably the only guy that left out of there and went to college. I'm, 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 and I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, the way I, the way I carried myself was, was, was a lot different as well. Like I didn't carry myself like I was okay with being there. Like I wasn't okay with being there, but I was there. So I carried myself a little bit differently. Like, you know, and you know, I really started changing my diet in there as well. So it was just, it was just a combination of things, but definitely, definitely. Um, I would say reading, um, praying and exercise were probably my main three things that probably kept me afloat and, and my family, you know. Just to stick on the topic of rehabilitation, you, I think you mentioned that you had a, was a counselor or social worker that you met with before you were... Was it the psychologist? Uh, yeah, was yeah. yeah. psychologist, right? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and they had deemed you, that had you had potential for rehabilitation rehabilitation right I think that's what something that you said right I'm curious what that process was and what okay. was it about you that like why were you given the yeah. check for rehabilitation whereas someone else might not have been deemed like you know that they had the potential to be rehabilitated um, well I think so that process was um, there uh, there was a series of tests that, that I had to take there was a series of tests that I had to take to determine what my mental state was. And based off of me um, doing well on, on the test that they, that they provided, um, it was determined if this person had the right amount of um, support and things in place, then he can be re- rehabilitated and be able to go back into society. Mm-hmm. So that that's what it was. It was just it was just it was just um, standardized testing that basically indicated, oh, okay, this guy can be rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. It was just it was just testing, and me being genuinely, sincerely sorry for what happened because I mean, as much as I was involved in gang life and different things like that, that evening I did not intend or wasn't prepared for what happened to happen so i was i was generally sincere with um being sad 
and disappointed at what happened, not just because I was incarcerated, but because two people lost their lives innocently. So I think that that was something that I didn't have to try to fake or anything like that. I think I think they could. I think the test um, was able to bring out the sincerity of me really being um, apologetic and remorseful for what happened. Um, you mentioned um, gang life. Um, there's a certain glorification of being incarcerated in movies and rap culture. Why do you think that is? And do you think this is accurate in real life too? Um, so I, I, I think, to be honest with you, rap music is really a reflection of reality. Mm-hmm. A lot of times of what's going on in, in most major inner cities. Like I've lived in Boston. I've lived in Virginia. I lived in I've lived here in Baltimore. I have family in California and Florida, and it's the same thing. It's it's really I think I, I I think what happens is rap is really supposed to be about informing the people about what's going on in our communities. However, I think what happens is when you bring in money, finances, and capitalism. Mm-hmm. Then we start talking about making money off of death and 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 talking about violence and all those different things and 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 we know that those things go on, but the thing about what I said earlier, there's also music that promotes health and wellness and and you know treating women with respect and treating your fellow man with 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 respect, but it's easier for us to gravitate towards the violence because that's what we see, so we normalize it. And we become desensitized with everything that goes on. Mm-hmm. So I think the reason why it gets you know popularized so much in music and in, on TV is because that's what people can relate to. You know, people like, I mean, me, I, I necessarily couldn't relate to, um, you know, having positive role models but I had people that you know sold drugs and had nice cars like that was normal for me so most kids they they're, they're going to gravitate to whatever it is that they see now once you take them out that space in that environment and you provide them with something different then that's a totally different story they get exposed to a different way of life but a lot of times in our community all we see is one thing just like when it comes to the food all we see is Chinese carry out in chicken boxes, you know? So I think it's really a matter of the exposure and not necessarily being exposed, which is why the music and the culture is, um, gets kind of um, put out there like that, is, is that, is that it's, it's easy to identify and relate to that because a lot of times that's what we see when we're at home watching the news we see this stuff when we're at school when we're going to school when we're just navigating it's kind of normalized even though as an adult i really had to realize that the way i grew up wasn't normal like it wasn't until i got to college and people had both parents and people had all these different things that i didn't necessarily feel or i i wasn't exposed to as a child so i think it's really about exposure and, and and being able to make sure that we are allowing ourselves and allowing our children and, and allowing young people to have different experiences outside of their environment to shift their mindset. Okay. 
And so you've mentioned mindset a couple of times now. Right. And uh, I think you said you had a, a mindset, mindset shift in your original experience right. in prison. Um, and then it seemed like you entered the second stint like with a purpose that was like, it was already, so I'm just, what was the mindset shift and like what caused that shift? So really the mindset shift was my best friend dying. My best friend dying and then my cousin dying while I was incarcerated. So that right there was like, you're going to be next because this is because this is the lifestyle and this is what you're doing. So if you do not do something different, you're going to end up staying in jail or you're going to end up dead. And I had always been good academically. However, I never promoted that because that wasn't accepted or allowed or embraced in my community. It's like you had to be tough. You had to know how to fight. You had to have girls. You had to have money. So even though I was capable of doing good in school and different things like that, I didn't necessarily gravitate towards that. I gravitate. I gravitated towards um, the negative stuff. So I, I think I, I think definitely seeing both of my friends die within a year apart. Um, really kind of just really made me realize that if I didn't do something different that I was going to end up that that way so that's that's basically what it was is just having having those experiences and again like I said prior to them dying I had already had five or six friends close friends that had that had died so it was like this thing is real and if you don't do something different you could potentially end up like that so what was different about you though because like you mentioned like you were the only one that was coming out of prison and going right. to college. But I'm sure you weren't. I'm sure I would guess that your experience of having friends and family die right. was not unique right. to those you were surrounded by. Mm-hmm. But your trajectory was unique. So like, why, what was different about you in making that, that shift? I, I, think, I think because I genuinely wanted it. I, I wanted something different. And I did. And I took the necessary steps to do it. So... All of the colleges, I like every college that I got accepted to while I was in jail were all out of state colleges. So I intentionally made sure, and my mom, got to give my mom a shout out. My mom was really adamant about getting me out of Boston. So because I, you know, jumped on board and said, I don't want to be here anymore, I don't want this to be my only experience, I think that's what it was. Is I like, I, I was intentional about removing myself from the environment that I grew up in and not being and and, and, and being okay with that and, and wanting something better for myself and you know realizing that my fate and my destiny was in my own hands at this point because I had gotten an opportunity. I had already beat a double murder charge. And so I was coming back, I was on the right path and then, you know, my emotions got the best of me, and I found myself, um, you know, locked up again. Even though, even though I had, I was getting ready to go to junior college, but because I, I really had that opportunity, also being incarcerated the second time, I was I was just able to sit sit still and be in my own thoughts and and really ask myself what did I want for myself in the future. And what was it that I needed to do? So um, it wasn't until later as an adult that, you know, a roommate of mine, he really put things in, pers- in perspective when he told when I when I told my story, he's like, 
even though you say that you missed out on a lot of your, uh, you know, teenage years and adolescence, it was actually a blessing that you were away because you missed out on whether it be being a young teenage father, whether it be, you know, all all of these different things that that would have probably more than likely happened, I was able to avoid because I was away. So once he put it in that perspective, I no longer looked at my incarceration as something that was a burden on me. I looked at it as a blessing because it actually saved me because of the path that I was on. That's intense. Yeah. So, so you talk about your mom and how she definitely helped you through this process. Um, would was she one of your role models? And also, like, did you have any other big major role models that also helped you and encouraged you and put you on this this path? Yeah, definitely, definitely. My mom and the mentor that I mentioned um, that was here in Baltimore, like, he always told me that I was intelligent he said he said i don't ever want to hear you say that you're smart he would always say monkeys are smart you are that's that's what he said he said yeah. he, he said you're intelligent and and you have to use your intelligence so i think between him and my mom just wanting more for me mm-hmm. made me want more for myself mm-hmm. I, th- I think that was the main thing and just you know my mom being a a a, a, a praying woman and just really wanting the best for her son. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's what, what what really got me through was, you know, that. And then the thing about it is once I started changing my mindset and, and, and really started to embrace um, life outside of the environment and culture that I grew up in, it just it it changed changed everything. It changed everything. I mean, it it really 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 changed everything. And um, you know, one of the things that really also helped me during that time was my mentor. Um, he was always traveling, so he would send me postcards from whether it was Tennessee, Hawaii, Alaska. I mean, he was he would go everywhere, and I mean, he actually still does to this day. And so, getting those postcards gave me a glimpse of hope that, hey, if I ever get out, or I might have the opportunity to maybe check out some of these places and and go to some of these places. So I think having people believe in me, even though I didn't necessarily believe in myself, was key to me basically shifting um, my, my thought process and my mindset. And also realizing that I was actually being a detriment to my community more than anything. Like, you're not helping the situation. Like you're not helping um, the people that are coming behind you mm-hmm. by engaging and participate in these nefarious acts. So you have to, if you want to really do something, you have to change yourself. And I think um, having the opportunity to go to college really, really did that for me. And it was, it wasn't easy. I mean, having to walk around um, feeling like. I was a felon and, and different things like that and really keeping that in during that time because I, I didn't I didn't want to share that with my fellow classmates or people because I didn't I didn't want to get judged. So it was it was it was it was a lot of different things. But I definitely think, you know, between, you know, my mom and my mentor and my grandmother and just, just different people always letting me know that I still had the potential to be great or or that or that or that I had the potential to change myself if I wanted to do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
I was just going to reflect the same question on on Velma and every soul. Like, you know, what has y'all's experience been with positive role models or or the lack of positive role models? Like, whatever that I, like, have you had that experience? Like Toronto was sharing of having someone who believed in him, and that was transformative. Um, it sounds like what's been your experience. I know you guys are part of an awesome program at, at Squashwise. Um, but yeah, I'm curious about your experience with, with with like role models in your life. For me, I grew up in a family of very, very smart, intelligent, strong women. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always to- I was named after my grandmother. And I was always told how smart she was and how to follow in her footsteps. And I always had positive role models. I never, like, ever had, like, a negative... Oh, I guess I could say I had negative role models. But, you know, I always had the uh, the privilege to have somebody always pushing me and um, rooting for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah same. Um, both of my parents, my mom and my dad, they're both amazing and they always you know they push me to be the best they're always very supportive in like everything i do especially in squash and also like people in squash too like the coaches there as well like coach abby like she's an amazing role model she's like she's amazing and like also like to see her um especially like now like with the fundraising for like the new building and like how she's like putting things together it's just like like what you, like surreal to see how she's doing it and yeah just like to see it all come together so that's also one thing too yeah that's awesome yeah um sorry (laughs) that's okay um and i was just interested in trying in your shift from Mm -hmm. being the person that needed the role model and now being slightly on the other side right not that we all don't always need role models, but right. now you're that person for other people. And just curious about like, what has that shift been like, or what, you know, was that a conscious shift? Um, and what is it like? Yeah. I mean, I, I believe so. I mean, I think I, it goes back to me um, really having a better understanding of what my purpose was and, mm-hmm. and, and really, and really wanting to um, find out what my purpose was. And I think what, what what I said was that I want to make sure that I continue on the legacy of my friends and family members that transitioned, but I wanted to continue the legacy in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say, um, since you guys aren't here, it's up to me to be able to make sure that I do whatever it is I need to do to have a positive impact and a positive influence on my community, whatever that community I, uh, that, that I'm living in, no matter what state, country, planet, it doesn't even matter. My mission is to make sure that I help others and assist others. I, I don't necessarily need to change anybody, but if I can implement and have people see things a little bit differently, um, then I'm okay with that. And so to answer your question, I've embraced it and, and it gives me purpose. It allows me to get up in the morning and be, and be happy about going to work and be happy about being able to have an influence on people's lives and, and, and be able to 
pour into people and be a positive role model. Like, like I mean, like I really, really, really like it. Like, it's not like, oh, you're just doing it because that's what you get paid to do and different things like that. No, I really believe that that's my purpose. And 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 my grandmother was a community activist, mm-hmm. so I tried to tap into those different things and try to carry on her legacy of what you know she did and being able to um just embrace that and and own it and and, and be okay with it and wanting to be a, a a chain shift like 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 i want the next generation after me to be better because of an interaction with me or because of something that i may have said like that's what it is for me it's not about the accolades it's not about the anything it's about making sure that people resonate with what it is that I'm I'm sharing whether it be I mean it, it could be anything it could be it could be about exercise it could be about you know it could be about community engagement it could be about anything but 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 I realize that my purpose is to be there and and a lot of times what I say is if not me then who like if I'm not at the Nate Tatum Center every single day being being available to the community, then who else is going to do it? And if the next person is going to do it, are they going to do it with the same amount of passion and vigor that I'm able to do on a natural level? Like, it's not something that I have to force or it's not something that I have to try to make up. It's just part of my DNA and who, and who I've transitioned to um, as an individual. And um, I'll say being in different environments has helped me with that mm-hmm. you know being around different people and being around people that are more intelligent than me and people being around people that may be more financially well off than me mm-hmm. being in those different spaces has helped shape me and and be okay with who I am mm-hmm. I have a question oh my gosh I just forgot it <laughs> <laughs> um any other is there any um, advice you would give to young people of today, the young people of today? Definitely. I would, my advice to young people would be to, it's okay to be yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to necessarily follow the crowd. Even if it's the most popular thing to do, like a lot of times we end up following others and we don't get a chance to learn who we are as an individual because we're following other people. So my advice would be to learn who you are as an individual first, because again, it goes back to balance. Like I can, I can like what you're doing and we can hang out, but I also have these things that I'm focused and doing as well. So, so being able to be okay in your own skin and being okay with being to be left out of the popular crowd or, or be is it's 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 okay because what I what, what I realize now is that there's a serious case of revenge of the nerds going on I know I know this is before your time but basically the the people that are in the the, the, the people that you know are in the books and that are into technology and, to, and into coding and all these different things those are the people that are actually the game changers and that run the world not the people that's outside selling drugs like they're just they're just surviving but the people that are actually shifting the course of the planet and the world are the people that embraced their intelligence so i would probably say embrace your intelligence and be and be okay with being smart and that doesn't mean that you have to go to college 
or that mm. you have to do that. But just yeah. be okay with being who you are as an individual, and 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 you know and and tap into that, and 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 be okay with being on the outside. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with being a loner. Sometimes, sometimes when you're alone, you can figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't remember my question now. <laughs> um, what is a common misconception that people have about being incarcerated, and how has that misconception or other misconceptions um, changed the way people view you through your everyday life? Um, I think one of the one of the major mis- misconceptions is that the people are incarcerated, that people that are incarcerated want to be there mm-hmm. because of the crime that they committed, and it's a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times it's a matter of survival. A lot of times it's a matter of this is all I know. Mm-hmm. This is this is the only thing I know how to do. So I think a lot of times there there are a lot of intelligent genius people that are incarcerated. But because they didn't have the proper role models, the proper guidance, or a blueprint to show them, then they went to whatever was next, which is usually crime and different things like that. So I think I I I, I think that we have to um, understand that a lot of people that are incarcerated don't necessarily want to be there, but they were. You know, society plays a role in that. You know, yeah. society plays a role. Whether we talk about systematic racism mass incarceration, you know, food does all that is all that is relative. It doesn't make an excuse for, you know, because at some point we know right from wrong and you do and you know, but at the same time, people sometimes we're only a product of our environment. Mm-hmm. Now if if you take these same people that are incarcerated now and you put them in a six month program that teaches them excuse me, how to code or teaches them the stock market or something like that, they would thrive. Mm-hmm. But because no one was there to show them that, then they had to go this route. And a lot of times it's not something that they want to do. Some people were just trying to provide for their family. And that's what they did. So I think we have to get out of the concept or the thought process. You know what you did. You committed a crime and you are supposed to be there. And it's like, that's not always the case. It's always, you know, variables that play a role in, it in why some people are where they're at. I mean, I'm, I'm a prime, prime example. I was literally on the path of going to college and then a life-changing event happened. I mean, I picked up my friend from the airport on a Monday. Before the end of the week, he was dead. So that shifted my thought process. It shifted my 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 sensibility and all those different things so it's not always easy growing up in the inner city in these spaces where things happen that are normalized that really aren't normal like a lot of things are normalized that 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 are that that aren't normal so i think i think that we have to take a look at the bigger picture of how things happen why they happen and cause and effect so you talked a lot about like rehabilitation and when I think of like a prison or like people who are incarcerated, I don't really think about like, you know, rehabilitation programs because the way I think of it is like the prison was like I think the system was made like just to keep them there. Right. Like that's what I think of. So how um so what programs do you think should be put in place to 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 um to not to prevent there we go to prevent recidivism and okay. also to you know help the people who are incarcerated like to live a better life while they're out like when they get out and stuff like that or, or programs are in place 
currently. I don't know. So yeah. I think that's a great question. Um, honestly, I think there are a couple of different things. I think one thing that should be available is mental health, mm-hmm. therapy, counseling, and trauma-informed therapy because we get to these places, but nobody talks about how we got there. Mm-hmm. So I think having therapy, normalizing therapy, making therapy available, mm-hmm. making making sure it's quality therapy. Yeah. Um, and then I think the next thing is doing an assessment of identifying who this individual is. What are, what are their strengths and weaknesses? Where area would they thrive in on a professional level? Mm-hmm. And, and being able to um, be, being able to pour into them and give them confidence that, hey, I know you're used to selling drugs, or I know you're used to robbing people, but those skill sets can be easily transformed into something that is legal. And how, and, and how do we do that? So I, I think being able to um, assess people and then provide them with the necessary training that they would need to be successful and maybe have them do a vision board on Mm -hmm. something along the lines of if I were to be released in six months from now this is what I would like to be doing put those things on the board and then you have a one-on-one worker that assists you with achieving or getting to each of these goals so I think I I think that's you know a, a way to go but definitely there needs to be some serious talk about healing and overcoming trauma mm-hmm. because I don't think anybody wakes up and says, okay, I'm going to act a fool today so I can go to jail and be away from my family and loved ones. I think it's a lot of times it's really about survival and that's how some folks survive. And it's not up to us to judge them for that because we aren't in their shoes. So we don't, we don't understand and we don't know what it is that they're dealing with. Like, for me, example, I mean, my dad was an addict for most of my life. I mean, he stole my TV for drugs and everything. So that's impactful in how we, you know, mature as, you know, adults and young adults. And so I think being able to have that conversation about childhood childhood experiences and how you got to this point is important is, is to be able to kind of go back and reevaluate how how did we get to this point so i wanted to ask about you mentioned healing and grieving and um kind of owning your story right in different points and different answers and um it seems to me like your story when you were uh first charged mm-hmm. was Real public, right? Yeah. So your story was out there whether you wanted it to be or not. Yeah. National. National news, right? Yeah, national news. And yeah. then there was a documentary. Yeah. They, about yeah. PBS did, a, PBS did about an a hour and a half documentary on, 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 my, on my case. So your story was out there. And then you're out later in life, but not really comfortable with your own story, right? Right. And then, but you mentioned there was some sort of transition where you kind of were able to like own your story and start sharing it. Right. And I'm wondering, is there like a connection between that and your grieving and healing process of like this, like, Oh no, I don't need to run from this story anymore. In fact, I'm going to embrace it. 
I think I believe so. Yeah, I definitely, definitely. I, th- I definitely think, um, you know, I would probably say both of my grandmothers tra- transitioning was probably the thing that like really helped me embrace like that I'm here for a purpose and that I need to own and accept who I am and where I'm at and be able to be comfortable with that. I think I think between that and then again realizing that my my friends and family that uh, are no longer here didn't didn't get this opportunity. So who am I to waste that opportunity that I'm being provided with? And so I think I think I think that's what it was more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, I find that really interesting. I mean, obviously we're sitting here doing a podcast, which is a storytelling platform. Right. And you kind of uh, organically mentioned just this like power of like owning your own story and telling it as it was kind of woven in with, with healing. Yeah. Um, I just kind of, I don't know, that found, it seemed synchronous and interesting to me. Uh, yes, I mean, I think I've asked everything I wanted to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, uh, maybe as a way of kind of starting to wrap things up, is um, I think, you know, you mentioned not really having role models, um, the idea of exposure mm-hmm. that young people do have, and we all have to talk about, like, programs that are needed for mm-hmm. rehabilitation as people transition out of prison. But I'm wondering about, you know, what we need so that people don't necessarily have to go to prison right. to have that awakening experience right. that you have. Right, right. And then specifically, like, you know, you mentioned your pur- purpose a bunch of times. Like, right. So what are you doing right now okay. uh, as it ties in right. to all that? Because I know you're just starting something, so I want to make sure we get Yeah, this. so, I mean, I think, I think when we talk about having things in place so people do not get to that point of where they be, I think is being able to have the appropriate resources available. So if, so, so if, so, so if, if, if we know that the data in Baltimore says that teenagers between the ages of 15 and 17 are usually home alone because their parents are at work, how do we make sure that those children that are home alone have something? Like mission fit, have village learning, have 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 those different things, and also being able to get. I think it's very important is to be able to get insight from the people that we're trying to serve. Like mm-hmm. like I need to hear from you ladies on what it is that you need in order for you to feel comfortable, safe, successful. Instead of me coming in as this adult oh, I think you should do this. I need to be able to hear it from you because if I know what it is that you need, then I can galvanize and be able to say, okay, this is what this person needs. Mm-hmm. So I think I think being able to be an ear is important to, um, you know, being able to prevent young people or people from being in, in incarcerated and different things like that is, is, mm-hmm. is to be able to listen and understand what it is that they need and what it is that is missing. I think that's very important. Um, that's, you know, pretty pretty much it. Um, so you talked about, so what is it that you specifically do? I know okay. we like talked about like right. food deserts and stuff right. and like social work, so what okay. is it? Yeah. So, so basically in my current role, I am challenged, so I'm tasked with 
identifying programming that people that live on the property that um, I work at can benefit from and also people in the community can benefit from. So that can range anywhere from being able to provide resources for maybe people that are currently running that are interested in being a first time home buyer. It could be anything from, um, you know, providing, you know, yoga classes for, for people. So what I do now is basically pro provide programming and resources for people that live directly in the community that I work in, as well as people that live on the property that I work in. So it could be anything from having a, um, you know, a bike repair shop for the kids so, you know, they can safely ride their bikes. It could be anything from um, taking the kids on a trip to the um, BMX racetrack, which they may not necessarily get a chance to do on a normal basis. So it's basically being able to um, provide resources that the people in the community and that live on the property are going to benefit from. And, and like, we've had everything from, we've had, you know, we have gardens on the property, so we, you know, teach people how to, how to, how to grow their own food, and, and we may have, like, a cook-off of the food that you've grown. So it varies. Um, and um, outside of that, um, I started a, a, a company called Team Auto Bars, which is basically um, myself and about maybe 10 other guys we're always constantly working out at Lake Montebello. We were doing pull-ups and doing tricks and all those different things, but we wanted to find out how we could impact people outside of that. And so we started that. We started going into schools and, and doing, you know, boot camps and, and really trying to make being fit and healthy cool. Like, that's really what it was. It's really about make, being fit and, and healthy and making it cool and making it something that people would embrace mm -hmm. and then outside of that um i was looking to and i'm still looking to open in a wellness center where people can come and get the resources they need mental health services physical health services health and nutrition all all of those different components under one umbrella and the last thing that i'm currently working on is i am in the process of editing uh, my memoir or autobiography so to speak um and the book is called 46 winners um my uh my life as a juvenile delinquent um overcoming tra childhood trauma and healing so my goal is to use that as a launch pad or a springboard to do some motivational speaking and encourage people that aren't necessarily sure what path they're on or aren't sure you know what they want out of life is maybe if they can hear some of the challenges and things that I experienced that they could um, learn from it and figure out what it is that they want to do and maybe understand their purpose earlier um, I think I think that's what I want to do is I, I want to be able to normalize therapy amongst our community I want to be able to normalize um, you know, overcoming trauma and hurt and, and disappointment and all the, I want to be able to normalize those things because a lot of times we have to put that stuff to the background because we just got to, we just got to work. We got to go to work so we can pay the bills. Mm -hmm. So I just want to be able to normalize that it's okay to have gone through, through these experiences, but what's next? How, how, how do we overcome them or, or how do we grow from these experiences? Like, how do we grow from our not so great experiences? How, how do we learn from them and how do we 
thrive after we go through those experiences. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think we'll have another podcast about how do we destigmatize mental health. Yeah, yes. that's yeah. Cool. yeah. I don't know if we want. We start that. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be all night, another right? Hour, but, um, <laughs> uh, as we wrap up, um, we always close our mission fit programs with a gratitude circle, and then we always ask our guests and the, the young ladies if y'all want to answer as well. Just what what does strength mean to you? Um, to me, strength is being able to do something that you may not necessarily be, um, quote unquote, strong at, but still attempting to do it. Attempting to do do it is, is strength to me, like making an effort to me is strength, is being able to try is strength for me. Even if you don't complete it, being able to make the effort and trying to do something, that shows strength versus the opposite of strength for me is cowardness. Mm -hmm. So cowardness is me saying, oh, I can't do that. I'm not gonna be able to do that. Strength for me is making an attempt and trying to do it. For me, I would say strength is stepping out of your comfort zone because if you're just gonna you know uh, stay in your comfort zone and not try new things and not go out there kind of makes you in my opinion weak so i say it's stepping out of your comfort zone um for me right now i think i said this on the other one too i was like not giving up because um like end of towards the end of school year and it's that time like for me i just get like super unmotivated but at the same time i have to see like you know the light at the end of the tunnel right like even though i'm a junior i still have to finish strong and then obviously commence into the senior year and everything so just not giving up yeah i like that um and to answer my own question that to me i think it's um strength is knowing your truth and being willing to commit to that and live that regardless of what other people think and I think you said something similar but also being willing to be changed by what you see mm -hmm. and what you learn and uh, so not knowing things too firmly yes, um, yes. and I'll just uh, I'll start the gratitude process and I'll just say um, I'm really thankful to both of y'all and ladies um, you're amazing and it's wrong to be in here and uh, just um being so willing and open to share. Um, Thank you. It's really been awesome to sit down and chat. I don't think we've done this yeah. before. So no, no, I appreciate awesome. it. And I just wanted to say one thing real quick. Um, really, when, I'm, when I think about my book and how I got to this point of writing my book, I want to do a shout out to Chris, Chris Wilson. Like, I read his book um, last year. Um, and right after I read his book, it sparked it sparked in me and I just started typing. And so if it wasn't for me probably reading that book, I'd probably still be saying, man, I need to write a book or I need to write my book. But after I read his book, it was so inspirational and inspiring that I was able to um, tap into my experiences and put that on paper. So I definitely, you know, want to, you know, acknowledge and, and be able to, you know, give him his flowers in regards to, you know, inspiring me to be able to be comfortable 
with, you know, sharing and telling my story. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, Mission Fit. You know, I've, I've, lift, I've listened to a couple of podcasts and they've impacted me. I've, I've enjoyed them, whether it, be the young, whether it be the young folks talking, whether it be Chauncey, like it's stuff that is needed. And, and, and these conversations um, help and, and impact others. And so I'm, I'm grateful for uh, Mission Fit and, and being able to be a um, resource and a you know conduit, so to speak. So I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you young ladies, sharp, intelligent, you know, and, and it's, it's so refreshing to see young people just being young, not wanting to be anything but where they are at the time. And so I, I really appreciate you ladies and um, I know you guys are going to be, you know, successful and tremendous at whatever you guys do because you're here. And so I don't, I don't need to know what you're doing tomorrow, what you're doing. I, you're here. So I know that um, the path that you ladies are on is going to um, grant you all of the things that you want and need to be successful. Thank, Thank you. You, <laughs> <laughs> you want to start? Like what you're grateful for? Oh, what I'm grateful for. I'm just grateful for life because there's some people who didn't wake up this morning. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say I'm grateful for life. Um, I'm grateful for... Um, I mean, there's a lot of things I'm grateful for. <laughs> but like, um, okay, so I'm grateful for my family and just the support that they've given me through just like everything and yeah i'm like super grateful for them i'm super happy and i know that i'm privileged to be in the situation that i'm in so i'm super grateful for them so yeah awesome thanks and when does the book drop um right now we are in the process of actually so I, I thought I was done, but when I uh, met with someone that was going to be editing, they suggested that I actually get, go a little bit deeper. They said, you know, you're talking about some things which only is kind of scratching the surface. It's important for you just to put it all out there and then let and then let the people, you know, experience what you went through. So I'm in the process of right now just kind of um, kind of interviewing some people like my family and just going back and. And identifying articles that, you know, talk about, you know, childhood trauma and juvenile delinquency and, and what that looks like. So still kind of putting the finishing touches on it. So it's hopefully it will be released before the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. We initially had a spring release, but I think um, because I, it was, you know, I need to actually add some more, uh, I would say, depth to it. Um, we're probably looking at hopefully a summer release, if not before then, but at least before the summer's over. Awesome. Well, I'm excited for that. And then if people want to find you or find all the bars or... Yeah, so if um, if, if you want to find me, you can probably... Um, Team Auto Bars on Facebook um, is pretty pretty much the easiest way to find me. Um, you know, I, I check it regularly or, you know, I, I'm the type of person, I'll give you my number and email. So my number is 443-622-9458 and my email is um, teamab three seven at gmail.com so yeah i'm definitely you know if 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 you you know want somebody to come speak to young people speak to speak to older people or just you know anything like that i'm i'm always you know open for that free of charge it's really not about 
you know, the money. I mean, I, I get rewarded when I'm allowed to share my story. So that's how I get paid. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. That's a wrap.